0: Good morning again. It's hour two of Mornings with Carmen on this 12th of July. I've been having some very extended conversations lately with uh, a gentleman who's nearly 90. Uh, we've been talking about a number of things, and um, he's been one of the things he's been sharing is just his spiritual practice, and part of that is just reading through the Bible over and over and over and over and over, and over again. And he's been doing this since uh, his very first pastor. He he's not a person who was raised as a Christian. In fact, he grew up in a street gang um, in New York City and uh, came to Christ through the witness and testimony of uh, of his wife, who had also been uh, a street kid in New York. But she had been raised by a a, a Christian family. I mean, her parents uh, were Christians. She just happened to live in a really tough neighborhood. Um, and then she came to Christ through the outreach ministry um, of a church in a military community where— um, where they were stationed and when he was a Marine. And when he came back from deployment, you know, he just gives this, tells this story about how his wife was just this radically different person. And um, that led him to want to know this Jesus, the reality of this Jesus. And so that very first pastor who led him to the Lord and baptized him uh, shared with him the spiritual practice of reading the scriptures every single day and reading the bible through and just then when you get to the end then you just start over again and so being um being informed that this is the this is a practice of the christian person he's been doing that now for decades like since he was 20 and so now in his 80s he has read through the bible a number of times, and he was reflecting on the Bible as the living Word of God, and just how gracious God is to continue to um, open it up in in new and fresh ways during different seasons of life uh, to address particular challenges and to uh, help help a person see the world as God sees it and to see God as He is. On and on and on and on and on. So this is a, this is a shout out for the scriptures today of the Old and New Testament. And one of the passages that we talked about was from 1 Kings 19, verses 11 to 13, where God says, uh, go out and stand—he's talking to Elijah, the prophet—he says, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the whirlwind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. Sometimes the voice of God, we, we expect to hear it or see it or understand it from the dramatic events of human history that are taking place in our day. When in fact, God might be speaking to us in a very still and small voice. The story and this passage was brought to mind by a headline this morning um, that popped in my news feed. Um, Is President Biden speaking in a still voice? small voice. And I thought to myself, (laughs) there's a headline writer who, uh, whether they know it or not, is giving a nod to a passage of scripture. So uh, apparently over the weekend, uh, President Biden was speaking at a public transit station in Wisconsin. He was supposed to be talking about repairing roads and bridges. But at one point he folds his arms, he rests uh, them on the lectern, he leans into the mic, and he lowers his voice, basically to the point of the volume of a whisper. And he chose to talk about things that were, you know, technically off topic for the event um, that was happening there. But what he talked about ultimately was what he wanted to communicate and used this still small voice to emphasize his point. And so I lift that up to you today to remind you that in, you can't even read the headlines of the day in many, many cases without knowing what the Bible has to say about things. And so let me encourage you to be in the Word of God today before you seek to get out there into the world that God so loves um, in order that we as God's people might honor Him in these days. All right, next up, we've got uh, Glenn Durer. He is a professor at Cedarville University. He's been on with us before, and I told you last time we were going to ask him about serving as a council person in his local community of Beaver Creek, Ohio. So that conversation is up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
1: Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We
0: believe in... Professor Glenn Durer joins us to talk about international headlines. He's an associate professor of international studies, history, and government at Cedarville University. Glenn, welcome back.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: All right. So are there a lot of international affairs in Beaver Creek, Ohio?
2: Not generally, no, but um, our municipality does abut, um Wright Patterson Air Force Base, which is really one of the major interior defense points of the United States. And so there are many, many people from uh, all around the world that are stationed uh, at Wright Patterson ba- Air Force Base or visiting. And then uh, a community with um, significant immigration as well. So uh, a good number of people from around the world.
0: That's fascinating. Okay, so you see, I think that's probably something that people. Would be sometimes surprised to hear um, and and to consider and think about. All right, talk with us about um, why why you are investing time and energy and resources and uh, going through what some people would just see as the utter frustration of serving in this way. Um, and and then talk about talk with us about how it happened.
2: My main interest, as you know, is is foreign policy and international affairs and that's usually the way I wake up thinking about, you know, what's happening out there in the world. But as a PhD student, I, I took two tracks. The first was an international relations track, and the second was public policy analysis. And it got me thinking through at the local and state levels just how policy is implemented, how to watch it, um, unexpected outcomes of policy, and it kind of drew me into to the, to the the local. And then when I Landed at Cedarville. I I kind of took some baby steps. I was part of a charter review uh, committee, um, got uh, actively involved locally. And then uh, after I received tenure, I I thought about, okay, well, maybe I'll run for office. I did. I lost uh, very narrowly. Uh, Beaver Creek has a population of just under 50,000 people. Uh, So I I lost by 57 votes, uh, which is 0.29% of the electorate that voted. Uh, But then I was actually appointed the the following year. And so I've been serving in office for a little over a year, uh, and uh, I'm up for election in November. So we'll see how that all goes.
0: Okay. So I just think that that's fascinating. And I think that there are probably a lot of people who say to themselves, um, I think that I would love to do that, but I imagine it is like a, literally a thankless job. Um, it's probably a volunteer position. And how do you deal with the, um, you know, like the the scrutiny of those in the community who maybe do not uh, have the... Um, uh, the majority opinion, but they're very, very loud, noisy, gong, noisy gongs or clanging cymbals.
2: These are great questions. Um, I've always believed that Christians should play an active role uh, in their community. If we as believers in Christ step out uh, of the world, then it leaves a vacuum for, for others in, in which to operate. And so uh, I felt the calling to run uh, and then have have stepped into the role, uh, I enjoy it. Uh, our city managers are a believer in Christ, our vice mayor, uh, other council members, and so we, we're very blessed in our community. But communities can also change very rapidly. And so I, I thought, okay, as a youngish father, as someone that has some skills in this area, someone that's served in our various different capacities on uh, local committees and boards, uh, I, I can make a difference, and so um, I try and meet with people regularly. I try and chat with people regularly, uh, but as you mentioned, there are those in the community that are louder and sometimes very negative, negative. and for me, it's always trying to assess what does the median person think? Um, you know, is this voice reflective of a, of a median person within the society? Uh, because if the median person is upset then then a lot is going to change um a lot's going to be very negative so i try and pay attention to that uh but in general i i have become better we have a very very good mayor who uh, has a has a good sense of what is, what is the minority voice and what is the this this loud voice that may reflect a, a wider opinion and so mm-hmm. it's it's trying to stay uh connected to that um, bearing in mind that there will be you know, uh, metaphorical arrows fired, that people will say things that aren't all that kind, but it, it comes with the territory, uh, and it's about serving the community. And I do get paid a little bit, but it is, a, it is a, a small amount. It is a labor of love for the community.
0: Absolutely. All right. We are talking with Professor Glenn Durr from Cedarville University. Um, we're going to continue this conversation and turn to some international headlines in just a moment. Looking at some international headlines this morning with Professor Glendora from Cedarville University, we have teed up a conversation about Haiti, um, which we know as one of our very very close southern neighbors, but actually even closer to us. Um, and this is just popping in headline news overnight and this morning, Cuba, Cuba just 103 miles from uh, the southern coast of the United States in Florida. Anti-communist protests erupting in 32 cities across the nation of Cuba, Um, people uh, chanting freedom down with communism. Uh, You can watch videos on Facebook Live of what's happening. It's pretty extraordinary. Cubans across the country denouncing the misery brought to them by the communist regime there for now many, many years. So Glenn, I know we didn't uh, prepare in advance really for this conversation, but sometimes the headline news provides um, fodder for conversation that we didn't anticipate.
2: Absolutely. And so we're dealing with two countries in the Caribbean that uh, have some similarities, but also uh, sharp differences. Uh, Both are relatively close to the state of Ohio in terms of population size, uh, 11, 12 million. Cuba has long been communist uh, since the 1959 revolution. Haiti is democratic, uh, a system that is very closely aligned to France, but has had numerous problems over the years. Haiti is the poorest country in the Americas and recently suffered the assassination of its president. And in Cuba, uh, significant protests, as you mentioned, uh, really pushing back against the communist government. But there have been major issues within the economy. It's dealing of the COVID-19 crisis and then access to to fuel, food. Those prices have increased significantly in both countries.
0: So let's talk about um, specifically what is going on uh, in in Haiti following uh, the assassination of the president there.
2: President Jovenel uh, Moise was elected in 2016 under heavily contested circumstances. To, that, that still bring to bear here uh, at this time. Um, there are elections scheduled for September uh, for the uh, next round. But given his assassination, it is a uh, it is it has plunged the country back into political crisis. There are some 28 suspects. 26 of whom are Colombian, uh, two are Haitian Americans, uh, and several are still on the run. And it's not yet fully known as to why they committed the assassination, as well as who's in charge of the country. There are three different leaders that have all stepped in to try and make a claim. Uh, So it's a very, very volatile situation. As I mentioned in the previous question, fuel prices have increased, uh, food prices have increased. Uh, so there's a, a real challenge. They're asking the United States for help. Uh, the UN had a mission there from 2004 to 2019 until it withdrew. So unfortunately, this could be some very difficult days ahead.
0: You know, when we think about, um, you know, a hundred miles away, uh, Cuba. Um, I don't know. Haiti's not. Haiti's not very far away. Um, a few hundred miles, um, but. It, in some ways, like the people of Cuba live in a totally different world because of communism, and the people of Haiti live in a totally different world um, because of what seems to me generational uh, poor governance. I, I could be wrong about that. I could, that am, I, am I reducing the concerns of these two island nations, um, or is there, is there some truth to what I'm saying?
2: I think it's a fair assessment. Uh, Everything is is always more complex. uh, But if you compare these countries to surrounding countries, or at least provide a similar point of comparison, uh, it's fair. Because with with Cuba, uh, its economy has remained very lackluster, despite the fact that uh, in comparison to a number of, say, tourist destinations or or other countries that make uh, semiconductor parts or have gone into uh, light manufacturing uh, within the region, they've done very well comparatively, say, Costa Rica or Panama. Uh, There are other uh, tourist destinations like the Bahamas that have figured out ways to take tourist dollars and then move it into other sectors. Cuba has very very much remained um, kind of in this very stagnant position Haiti is a real challenge to analyze because it is one of the few French-speaking entities within the Caribbean, and and really the only independent French-speaking entity. Uh, They typically group together in the Caribbean, English-speaking, Spanish-speaking countries and, and entities as well. And so Haiti has really been hamstrung from the beginning it had this very remarkable revolution in 1804 where it gained its independence. So it's, it's almost been as independent as long as the United States, and yet tons of foreign intervention, a lot of political turmoil, but then also the, the human tragedy of uh, earthquakes, uh, hurricanes, things of that nature that have really made building the country very, very difficult.
0: You know, I think it's going to be interesting to people to um you know to hear you note the history of Haiti um that it has been an independent would we say sovereign self-sovereign self-governing nation as long really as the United States has been um it can't just be uh, location uh, in the in, in the tropical sense it's probably also would you say you know, the fact that we are a whole lot bigger, people can spread out a whole lot more, and there's a lot more opportunity to make in a land as big as the United States of America, less opportunity to make in a, in a nation state the size of the island of Haiti.
2: Yes. Um, the independence of, of Haiti was really remarkable. Uh, so 1804 uh, from France. And so this is the same era uh, under Napoleon who basically conquered much of Europe and yet couldn't keep haiti uh, and so that's the that's the fascinating part of the of the story I mentioned mentioned it's french speaking so uh, there are very few other french speaking entities and very few natural allies. Haiti shares a border for example with the Dominican Republic on the island of Hispaniola, and the two have a very sometimes a difficult relationship. Uh, Haitians will often flee. There, 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 many are refugees in uh, the Dominican Republic working in the sugarcane fields, working in the tourism industry, for example. Uh, but Haiti has remained significantly behind the Dominican, the Dominican Republic uh, economically for, for years. There's been a lot of foreign intervention in Haiti that's made it very difficult, particularly from the French. But at the same time, as you mentioned, just the the ability to create uh, has been has been challenged. Uh, some of it is geographic, uh, and and you know, weather related, but other times it's uh, deep challenges within the society. Um, mm-hmm. Many Haitians have come to know the Lord and and actively serve the Lord, and I think that has has really helped the country. But there is a a voodoo system behind that that is very uh, challenging, uh, and I, I think uh, makes makes it difficult to really move forward in any uh, major way because Haiti has really thousands of Christian and non-Christian aid agencies uh, working within the country, and yet very little has changed. Uh, having said that, there are some remarkable success stories. Uh, local entrepreneurs have figured out ways to to really bring in and use Haiti's natural resources to to create thriving companies. But a lot of that has been hamstrung by the ongoing political turmoil uh, throughout the uh, especially recent decades.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for helping us understand what is uh, happening. Um, Our southern neighbors in Cuba and then a little bit further to the south and the east in Haiti. Um, Glenn, I imagine these are going to be Uh, conversations we will continue to have in the future. Thank you for highlighting them with us this morning.
2: Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. That's Professor Glenn Durr. He is an associate professor of international studies, history, and government at Cedarville University and a council person in Beaver Creek, Ohio. We're listening, or you're listening to Mornings with Carmen, and we'll be right back. We often think of some sort of division or separation between that which is sacred and that which is, you know, regular, everyday, run-of-the-mill, routine, what's going on in my life? Uh, And that's not true at all. God is the God of all things. We're going to talk with author Andrew Wilson next about his new book, God of All Things, Rediscovering the Sacred in an Everyday World.
3: This is Max Locato. Our minds cannot be full of God and, at the same time, full of fear. Don't get lost in your troubles. Lift up your eyes. He will keep in perfect peace all those who trust in Him, those whose thoughts turn often to the Lord. Are you troubled, restless, sleepless? Then rejoice in the Lord's sovereignty. I dare you, I double-dog dare you to expose your worries to an hour of worship. Your concerns will melt like ice on an August sidewalk. Jeremiah draws a direct connection between faith and peace. He says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord, for he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river, and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought. Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8. This is Max Locato. I can...
1: Day comes, my... All right, I'm
0: thrilled to introduce you, if you don't know him already, to Andrew Wilson. He is the teaching pastor at King's Church London. Uh, he is, um, well, you're going to love him. I'm just going to say that in advance. He writes for Christianity Today. That may be a place that you've already been exposed to his writing. Um, the book that we're going to discuss today is God of All Things, Rediscovering the Sacred in an Everyday World. Andrew, welcome to Mornings with Carmen.
4: Thank you so much for having me. It's such a nice, nice thing to be here. It's scary when someone says you're going to love him. I have no, no, <laughs> no idea gonna, gonna, how that's possible. They're going to totally
0: you. love you. They're going to totally love you because this is you are speaking in this book and just in what you're doing all the time, you're speaking right into the deep concern of people that, you know what, God is out there busy with something other than what's going on in my life. And you bring that um, myth, you just pull back the curtain and say, that is not true. In in this book, you know, helping us to rediscover the sacred in an everyday world, God of all things. Talk about what what are you seeking to address what's the question what's the concern um what's the fear you're seeking to address in this book
4: so i'm a i'm a pastor and a theologian and and i found that a lot of people think that theology and when thinking about God basically is is all very abstract it's it's in the realm of ideas it's concepts and categories and theologians don't help all, all the time because we use you know not just long words actually but quite abstract words that are quite difficult to grasp things that you know sort of notions like even you know God is infinite and God is spirit and God all of the invisible and all of these things are they're all true God is sovereign but they're actually quite hard to get your your mind around sometimes And what I'm trying to do in this book is to say, look, if we teach our view of God in the same way that Jesus did, where we where Jesus sits down and goes, right. There was a man who's got sons and here's a sheep and consider the lilies or the flowers and look at the sparrows. And he just takes things, stuff, physical things, and then says, can you see how that thing works? Right. Well, now, now imagine how that thing reflects God in the following ways and almost start with the object or the stuff and move up rather than starting with the categories and then moving down that you can help a whole bunch of people see and experience the the reality of God in a very rich and, and deep way. And then you go back and you're seeing that, you then go back to the Old Testament and you think, God's doing it all the time. He's continually saying, you know, I am your rock or whatever it might be. I'm your father even. Um, and so those kind of very earthly, worldly, real world things are extremely important in our knowledge of God and so this book is an attempt to draw out 30 of them in scripture and kind of show us how to do it.
0: So we um we actually started the first hour today talking um about Richard Branson uh taking off into space yesterday and um you know and I lifted up Psalm 8 as a part of that conversation we then closed out the first hour um talking about Psalm 19 you know how is it that the heavens declare the glory of God Talk with us a little bit um, about the natural world, because one of the things that I like about what you're talking about is how all of this fuels our worship.
4: I'm, do you know what? I just love it. This morning I was writing, I'm obviously in, in, the, in the UK, it's now mid-afternoon, but this morning I was writing a message based on this book, and I used exactly that text from Psalm 19 in my message that I was writing just now, a couple of hours ago um because it's such a wonderful way of making the point that you're making yeah the heavens declare the glory of god and the sky above shows the work of his hands and again that psalm is such a key statement of exactly what i'm talking about in the book which is the idea that the the reason why there is a creation is to draw us into worship and to reveal something of god to us because I was a, a question i ask up front is like what why does God make a world like why does God make a physical world given that he's immaterial he's spirit he's he doesn't have a body until he takes flesh in the Lord Jesus he doesn't have a body so why does God why make a physical world why not just an angelic world with spirit world and of course one of the reasons that the scripture gives over and over again is by creating things God draws the attention of the worshiper Towards the worshipped, so he, he draws, takes creation, and it points us to the Creator. And the sky is a glorious example of that because it's not just that you look and think, "Wow, God is big" or something obvious like that. It, you look at it and you think, "God is wise. God is ordered. God is providentially and faithfully governing the seasons by the fact that the sky." You know, I've been here before because this time last year the weather did something similar. But it, I can't always know that it's going to be sunny every day. I know that sometimes, in fact. You know, I'm just thinking about the sky, but sometimes the the sun is hidden behind clouds. And that doesn't mean the sun isn't there. And in the same way, God, even though sometimes circumstances may seem to cloud me from experiencing the fullness of his brightness, that doesn't mean he's gone away. It doesn't mean he's not good. It might mean that circumstances are there and they're actually going to bring something else to me. And then the clouds come over and they bring rain and you experience the grace of God that falls on you like rain and that Jesus himself compares to rain. And you think, wow, this is in so many ways, just looking at the sky is intended to teach me about central doctrines of the Christian life, like, or or about God, like invisibility or grace or providence or sovereignty or goodness or whatever. And you think that's just the sky. And then you stand back and think about all the other things God has made. And you think, wow, God, oh, how manifold are your works in wisdom? Have you made them all? And the earth is filled with your creatures.
0: I love the way that, um, you expose us in this book. And again, the book is God of All Things, Rediscovering the Sacred in an Everyday World. The author is Andrew Wilson. I love the way that um, you, you I don't know, I mean, help us see and remember, because it's not as if, you know, for Christians, wow, this is the first time we've ever come across uh, passages where, you know, God is describing himself and his saving work in relation to a rock or an eagle or a horn, um, and it's not maybe the first time we've ever heard that Jesus say the kingdom of heaven is like and then use something as basic as leaven or uh, pearls or traveling um, as an example of those things. But you bring them together in a way that just really helps us see it. And so um, when we come back, maybe unpack some of those for us, maybe something like dust. Maybe let's talk about dust when we come back. Could we do that? (laughs) Of course I could. That'd be great. All right, there's almost nothing more ordinary in all of the world and in everyday life than dust. And so what does that tell us about the image of God? Andrew Wilson and I will continue this conversation in just a moment. Continuing my conversation with uh, pastor and theologian Andrew Wilson, the book is God of All Things, Rediscovering the Sacred in an Everyday World. All right, Andrew, um, dust. I have a fair amount of it in the environment where I am currently looking around, and I am thinking to myself, I probably need to do something about that today. What does dust tell me about uh, the reality and the image of God?
4: I can't be the only person who's wondering whether you're speaking from inside a broom cupboard or something like that. Or mm-hmm.
0: I'm not sure whether we it. call it. We call it the she shed, and uh, it's a little radio <laughs> studio that my husband has provided for me outside of the house, so that not everyone is hearing everything happening inside the house.
4: <laughs> yeah, so so we are we are told, aren't we, in the second chapter of scripture that we have been uh, that we have been made from dust and it's not at all the sort of thing that you and I would choose to say about ourselves I think it's actually quite profound uh in its implications for our humanity and our understanding what it is to be human but we and we quote it in funerals all the time in those beautiful words of the the Book of Common Prayer ashes to ashes dust to dust but it's not a way that I tend to think about myself until I stop and reflect on the existence of dust and what it means and of course dust is all, ar- all around me all the time it's put down the back of the radiator you know in the room I am now and it's you know have to sweep it up all the time and it's but it's basically composed of death when you stop and think about what it is it is decaying dead cells isn't it much of it and or dead animals perhaps and but a lot of it is me if I think about now where am where is the me that was here five years ago uh and of course the cells that I've got now in my body most of them are new most of them were not part of me And except with a couple of my organs, I believe most of the most of the cells in me now were not here. And the cells that were here five years ago are now behind my radiator or they are in the carpet or all over the place. And it's a pretty morbid thought. And of course, the whole point of that way of thinking and the way that Scripture refers to us and to Adam in particular as the man of dust is to remind us of how baked in our mortality is as a result of sin. And the normality, I mean, even in the last year and a half with COVID and everything, you have been continually reminded of the mortality of human beings and how almost no matter how advanced medicine gets and how long lifespans get, and praise God that both of those things have improved so much in the last two centuries, but we're still people of dust. And that's pretty integral to the, human, to the biblical vision of a human person. And at the same time, it's pretty integral to the biblical vision of the, the victory of Christ in that when Paul in the triumph triumphant 50th chapter of 1 Corinthians which is in some ways the one of the rhetorical high points of all of his letters just explodes with praise for the way in which we who have borne the ma- the image of the man of dust will one day bear the image of the man of heaven he's saying this dust world is going to become a non-dust world it's we currently are of course bearing the image of a man who was taken out of the dust the soil and formed And now we are therefore made up of stuff that decomposes and gets behind radiators and into sort of kids' shoes and all over the carpet and everything like that. But the day is coming where there will be nothing to hoover or nothing to vacuum up, nothing to sweep away, because there will be no death, there will be no, the the composition of our physical bodies will have changed to such a degree, we will be spiritual bodies, by which he doesn't mean non-bodies, he means bodies which are no longer corruptible or degradable or decayable, And so we will be no longer dust people, but spirit people like Jesus himself as a spirit person and left an empty tomb behind him. And so in many ways, just that very, very basic thing that some of us probably listen to this might even be doing the dusting or the hoovering or something right now as we're thinking. And then considering, wow, that the very existence of this task is witness to the fact that this world is still in the age of death. But the day is coming when it will no longer be because the image of the man of heaven will have swallowed up the image of the man of dust, and death will have been swallowed up in victory.
0: No dusting in heaven. (laughs) Hallelujah. Right? No dusting in heaven. I think that that, um, for many, many people, is going to be a very profound thought today. Um, What will we be doing in heaven? Well, one thing we will not be doing is dusting, because there won't be any decay. There won't be any dust. Now, see, that is a worthwhile observation to make as a as a theological statement. Like, And so that's really what you're trying to do. You are, and you're doing it very effectively. Um, you are taking what we know to be true about God and our experience of regular, ordinary things in the world, and you are helping us to connect them together. So let's do that, having done it with dust. Let's do it next with water.
4: Yeah. So, I mean, water— the, the thing about water, which is different, I mean so dust, you see, I, I expect most of us don't marvel at dust. And it, it, it so the chapters in the book attempt <laughs> to do this with different kinds of things. So do it with pigs and do it with honey and do it with bread and do it all. Well, I think with with dust you're going, I'm trying to introduce a new way of thinking about what the, the kingdom of God is through an image that you're familiar with but I haven't thought about. The thing with water is it's so obviously essential and magnificent and dramatic and powerful and covers the earth and is it is something that most of us marvel at sometimes, even if we're not trying to. We will, we will, whether it even just might be very thirsty, and we drink it and we just reflect on how dependent we are on it. Or we you know, unintentionally go for a few hours longer than we meant to without taking water with us and get in a very hot car. And then think, you just suddenly realize how dependent you are. Or you just stand at an ocean and think, I could get into this water now and I could travel uninterrupted, to New Zealand or to Samoa or to the South China Sea and I would just be an unbroken water the entire way and it, your mind starts to bend a bit as you and all, all the water cycle and the rain and the sea and you think how on earth does this work that water is continually being recycled so in many ways I, in that chapter I, I, what I attempt to do is to sort of try and draw some of the natural wonder we already have and then draw our attention to some of the conclusions that scripture draws from it Some of it, of course, is just down to the glory of creation. Uh, One uh, one of these uh, extraordinary things that I just cannot, I I still can't quite get my head around it, is the fact that water, unique among all elements that are liquid at room temperature, gets larger when it turns into a gas, but it also gets larger when it turns into a solid. And that very, in other words, ice is larger than water, and it, it occupies more space than the similar mass of water, but so does steam. And the fact that it expands and makes steam is the reason why we're able to have steam power and steam engines and basically the reason why we industrialized, and that's amaz- pretty amazing on its own. But the fact that it expands when it forms ice as well, which is completely weird because most solids, most liquids don't do that at all, means that the oceans don't freeze from the bottom up because when you get an iceberg, it melts because it circles round and basically gets the sun and melts again instead of sinking to the bottom of the ocean and the ocean's all freezing. And if water function like every other substance does, then life would be impossible. There would be no life. It would all be ice because the oceans would freeze. And you stop and think about that thing. think, God, you you knew that and you've designed the molecular structure of this substance in such a way as to make that possible. Now, that's a very sort of scientific take on it. Whereas, of course, what scripture then does is say, yeah, but it's not just look how glorious the, you know, the molecular structure or the specific heat capacity of water, some things like that, but just look at the way in which The Holy Spirit is spoken of as water, or the life of God is spoken of as water. Look at the way Jesus speaks to the Samaritan woman about living water. Look at the the idea that you know, or even as the psalmist is saying, the the deer is being is being chased and is panting for water, and in the same way, my soul longs for you, oh God. Um, And I I, have been to. And Gedi, where that psalm is written, in the in the sort of the wilderness in Israel, and just reflected on the wonder of how thirsty you must be, and then to be able to say at that same time, this is what my soul needs from God. And so the idea that that God has created a thing in the world that both displays his wisdom in a scientific way, but much more fundamentally and theologically than that, displays what it is for us to be totally dependent on something outside of ourselves that we can we can't go for more than a few hours without drawing it into our bodies and we need to keep returning to it and hungering and longing for it and that God has designed water like that and us like that as a repeated reminder of our need for him our desperate need to be satisfied in the Lord and there are many many other ways the Bible uses the image of course we use it through baptism and the idea that if if you were to walk into the water nearest you that's connected to the ocean nearest you and i was to walk into the sea that's 200 yards from my home uh, we would be connected by standing in the same body of water and in a sense whenever anybody gets baptized they are entering the same body of water that the historic church always has and that brings a unity that dissolves national and international boundaries and makes us part of a new larger thing because the waters ultimately unite and they don't just divide and we could go on i mean there's so many Examples like that in Scripture of ways in which water, rivers, seas function symbolically, but they're designed to reveal to us something of the life and the spirit and the fullness and goodness of God. And of course, like everything, we're
0: going to We're going to be we're going to be completely out of time in fifteen seconds. And so, I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I know that everybody listening, you have whetted their appetite. They are so excited, Andrew Wilson. I hope you will come back. Um, friends, the book is "God of All Things: Rediscovering the Sacred in an Everyday World." I am sure that um, we are completely out of time. Are we not? Or do, do, am I just running over the last break anyway? And you're not going to worry about it, Ryan. Oh, good. See, Ryan bought us another minute. So, Andrew, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. We have time now to say goodbye. And I'm sorry, I didn't realize. I, I... No, <laughs> you are totally away. fine. I completely hope that you will join us again. This has been absolutely delightful.
4: Lovely to be with you. Thank you.
0: Thank you. All right. You can find him at the King's Church London. The book is God of All Things, Rediscovering the Sacred in an Everyday World. I know you totally loved him. I know you did because it was great. It was great. Thank you for elevating um, our view of ourselves and Uh, elevating our view of God, like getting us back in touch and helping us reconnect the eternal with the everyday. That's what we're seeking to do each and every day here on the program. All right, go get into the Word of God, get out there into the world that He so loves, and do so in ways that honor Jesus.
1: Well, again, good morning, and thank you for listening to this Best of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge for this Monday as we wind down the 4th of July holiday weekend. Carmen will be back in tomorrow. You still have a few days to go to MyFaithRadio.com to sign up for an opportunity to receive a copy of the book 100 Bible Verses That Made America, Defining Moments That Shaped Our Enduring Foundation. It's by Robert Morgan. We have like 100 copies to give away, so to be eligible to receive one, you got to sign up at MyFaithRadio.com. Also, we hope you join our friend Susie Larson later this month for a special live stream event on Faith Radio's Facebook and YouTube channels called Dream Big, Start Small. It's on July 29th, and Susie will be joined by author and pastor Mark Batterson. So make sure you like us on our Facebook page or subscribe to our YouTube channel, or both. You also can get more information by texting the word EVENT to 877 933 well, I'm Paul Perot, Carmen's producer. Thank you for listening to this Best of Mornings with Carmen on Listener Supported Faith Radio. Have a great day.